Genuine question. Have you ever had a, a moment where you've had a, a meal served to you and you start to lay away at the food and you're eating away and you're like, oh, bro, this is good. And then at the end of it, you're like, what is it? What, am, what exactly am I eating? Anyone had a moment like that? No, just me? Wow, okay. Um, I've had many of those moments. But one of those moments, um, one of my friends, he dished out this food and <clears throat> I lay into that food. It was delicious. It was amazing. The best food I've ever tasted. And then I made the big mistake of asking him at the end, what, what is this? And my friend turns around to me and he says, bro, that's horse. I'm like, oh, okay. Now, I know that in some countries around the world, there are, you know, people who, you know, eat horse like that, you know, kind of a thing. <laughs> no shade, no shade, but I'm not the one, man. If you're going to dish food, don't dish horse. But I've had that moment. And um, it, this morning, we're looking at a type in theology, and the word type is often a, uh, is a word that's used to describe an event or um, someone in, that is for, a foreshadow of someone or an event in the New Testament. And so uh, this morning, we're looking at this type in the Old Testament that's called mana. Everyone say mana. And we're going to be looking at that this morning. And today is our, the final day for our Chasing Shadow sermon. And so I'm really excited to be bringing the Word of God for us. So you can take your sermon notes out or open the app for the sermon notes. We're going to pray. Father, we thank you for this time. And Lord, we just thank you for the freedom that we have in this country to come around your word so openly and open and speak your word, Lord. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would bless this time, bless the hearing of your word, bless the preaching, the, the speaking of your word this morning. Oh God, that it would uh, go deep down into our hearts, Lord, that we would leave this place uh, bearing much fruit, transform never the same again by the power of your word. We thank you, Lord, and we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. So Moses has just parted the Red Sea. And the children of Israel have come out of the Red Sea. They're now on this place called the Wilderness of Shur. And they're not there by accident, though, because Moses has led them there. And God is the one leading Moses. But they've been traveling in the wilderness for three whole days. And in the wilderness, there is no sign of any water. Absolutely no water. They just come, they've come from this massive body of water that Moses just, you know, parted. And now they've come to this place where there is no water. The average person uh, can only survive about three days without water. And for the Israelites, it's been three days and they've got no water. But the thing about it was that the people of Israel, they couldn't get to the promised land until they went through the wilderness. They had to go through the wilderness. And the wilderness is like this place of uh, separation where God separated the Israelites so that they wouldn't be influenced by the things around them so that they could trust in God. The wilderness is like this place of preparation where God is training and equipping the Israelites so that they could trust in God. The Israelites is like this place, uh, the wilderness is like this place of revelation where uh, God is wanting the Israelites to get some knowledge, understanding, grow in revelation of who God is so that they can continue to trust in Him. But it's been three days and they have no water. And so the Israelites come out of the, the you know, the, the parting of the Red Sea. They come to this place called uh, the Wilderness of Shur, but they leave there and they come to this place. They go to this place called Mara. And in Mara, they are not able to drink any of the water there because the water is bitter. And so the people of Israel, they then start to complain and, and they begin to grumble and they complain to Moses. Moses, it's been three days of walking in the wilderness we're tired, Moses. We're weak, Moses. There's no water 
here, Moses, and yet we've come to this place and the water here is not even drinkable. What do you suggest we drink in the wilderness, Moses? And so Moses goes to God and God shows Moses a log and Moses casts the log into the water and the water that was bitter was now sweet and the people of Israel were able to drink the water. God turned that which was undrinkable and he made it drinkable. God turned that which was bad and he made it good. God turned that which was bitter and he made it sweet. If you've come to a point in your life where everything seems bitter, I've got good news for you because God's been in the business of turning bitter things sweet since ages ago. And after they drink, they come to this place called Elam. Nice. <laughs> they, they, they go from Mara and then they come to this place called Elam where there are springs of water and palm trees. And so they camp here at Elam and they enjoy the springs of water. They enjoy the shade. They, they enjoy the refreshment they received there. But it is now two and a half months since they've left, left Egypt. They've gone from the wilderness of Shur. They've gone from there to Mara, from Mara to uh, Elam. Now they're going from Elam to this place called the wilderness of sin. But they come to the wilderness of sin and they come up against the second issue. And it's this, they are now without food. And so Israel do what they love doing. They start to complain. They start to grumble against Moses and Aaron. And here's how they do it. They start talking about their past, the good old days of the past, to amplify their discontentment about the present. Grumbling is an expression of discontentment. We do it all the time. <laughs> Whenever we're not content with where we're at, we start to think back to the good old days and we start to grumble. Oh, I wish I just had finished my degree when I got the chance to. Oh, I, I missed my single days. I wish I wasn't married no more. Oh, I wish I was still earning what I used to earn when I was selling that good stuff. Oh, I wish I took that other job instead of this job here. Oh, why did I have kids so young? We look back and we start to amplify our discontentment by using the past. And grumbling is an expression of discontentment. And that's what the Israelites are doing here in the story. They are starting to say silly things like, send us back to slavery. Take us back to Egypt. Take us back to the bondage. Uh, this wilderness thing here, this growing and development thing that's happening here in the wilderness, it's become too hard. Take me back to Egypt. Take me back to slavery. Take me back to the prison because at least in the prison, even though I lost my identity, even though I was suffering, even though it was hard, but at least in the prison, I was being fed well. They're starting to say, send me back to Egypt. Their grumbling was an expression of their discontentment. It's as if they were saying, yes, Lord, we saw you part the Red Sea. Yes, Lord, we saw you turn those bitter waters into sweet water. But God, that's not good enough. Imagine that, having your son or your daughter come up to you and say, Dad, I know you bought me that car. I know you taught me how to drive the car. I know you've been paying for my school fees. But you know what, Dad? Not good enough. Imagine your daughter coming to you and saying, Mom, I know you carried me for nine months. I know you made my lunch for 17 of them years. I know you helped to buy my, uh, my school uniform and pay my school fees and buy my stationery. But you know what, mom? Not good enough. And I imagine how God feels when we start to grumble because we're not happy with where we're at. But you see, Moses comes. I preached too hard already over there, eh? Uh, so Moses comes before the Lord. Moses comes before the Lord once again. And the Lord says to Moses, you better go on out and tell the people of Israel that I'm about to make bread rain from heaven for them. They need only to go out and gather the certain amount for each day. But I want to see if they can trust me enough to follow my instructions. God goes on to say, on the sixth day, when they prepare what they've gathered, 
there will be twice as much as they've gathered. And so Moses and Aaron go to the people of Israel and they say to them, in the evening, you're going to know for real that God was the one that, you know, delivered you from the hands of Egypt. And he says, in the morning, they say to them, in the morning, you are going to see the glory of the Lord because he's heard all of your complaints against him. Not against me, not against Aaron, your complaints against the Lord. But in the evening, God is going to give you meat and in the morning, he's going to give you bread. He has heard your complaints against him. And then Moses then says to Aaron, go on out and tell the people that they need to come and present themselves before the Lord. And so as Aaron was speaking to the people, the people looked over the wilderness and they saw the glory of God in the cloud. And then this is what God says to Moses. It's there in your notes, Exodus 16, 12 to 15. I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them saying, at twilight you shall eat meat. And in the morning you shall be filled with the bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it was that so it was that quail came up at evening and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Further down in Exodus 31, it says, And the house of Israel called its name manna, and it was like white coriander seed, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Great description. There are three things from the Old Testament text that I want to share with you this morning that are a foreshadowing of something greater that is to come in the New Testament. Here's the first thing. God sent manna for Israel in the wilderness of sin. Mana literally means, what is it? Sometimes we think mana means bread, but no, mana actually means, what is it? God's provision for Israel in the wilderness was so divine that there were no human words on earth to explain or describe God's provision. And so all they could say was, what is it? All they could say was, mana. And I was thinking about that for a bit, and I thought, man, imagine that. So they're getting up and they're like, what are you up to, bro? I'm like, I'm going to get me some what is it. What are you having for breakfast? We're having what is it for breakfast. You see, you need to understand that manna was more than just about having food to eat in the wilderness. God uses the universal necessity of food as a symbol to grow, develop, and train the Israelites to get into the habit of trusting God. In the same way that every living being needs some sort of food to survive, God places the people of Israel in the middle of the wilderness and And in the middle of the wilderness, they immediately start to see that their every necessity is being met by God. And all they could do was say, what is it? All they could do was say, mana. God didn't explain mana to the people of Israel. He just let them know that it was coming and what they needed to do. You see, I've come to realize that when God gets ready to supply, when God gets ready to provide, when God gets ready to rain the manna down for you in the wilderness, He don't necessarily tell you the what or the how, but He sure do supply. He sure do provide. And when He provides, His provision goes beyond our human comprehension, so divine that sometimes we're left but saying, what, what is it? Where did that come from? Where where did that food come from? Where did we just find the extra finances or extra funds? How did we just get an approval for a house in the middle of a pandemic? How are we able to pay for all of our kids' uniforms? Uh, How did we manage to get a car? 
When God provides, sometimes all we can say is, what is it? Mana. I'm speaking to the people in this room who are in the middle of the wilderness right now. You feel your faith is being stretched. You feel yourself being challenged. You feel yourself going through a season of growing and developing. And in the middle of that season of growing and developing, it seems like there is lack. Don't get it twisted. The lack of bread is not depravity. The lack of bread is your preparation. God is preparing you, trying to prepare you to get into the pattern of trusting God. God is preparing you, trying to get you into the rhythm of putting your faith in God. And he's going to leave you saying nothing but, what is it? Mana. The mana from heaven was what gave Israel sustenance for the journey. They were hungry. They were weak. Uh, which means they probably wouldn't have been able to make it over to the promised land, but it was the manna from heaven. It was the bread that fell from heaven that sustained the children of Israel for 40 years. When you were in the middle of the will of God, He is going to provide all that you need in order for you to get to where He has called you. The Israelites had manna for 40 years. That's 14,600 days of, what is it? That's 14,600 reasons to thank God. That's 14,600 days of miracles. That's 14,600 reminders of God's goodness. That's 14,600 opportunities to put your trust in God. Turn to the person next to you and say, mana. Mm -mm. The second thing you need to know is that mana was a gift that was given freely for Israel. The mana that fell from heaven was given freely. There weren't no terms or conditions to it. The people of Israel didn't have to work for it. The manna wasn't given because the people of Israel were an amazing group of people or because they, you know, of their qualifications or social status. In fact, all they ever did was grumble. Moses said to them, you will get the manna for the Lord has heard your grumbling. He's heard your complaints. But what I want you to understand this morning is that the manna was a gift. It was given freely. About 20 years ago, um, when my parents were first called to plant a church just in Woody, the, the plant team consisted of four people, me, my mom, my baby sister, and my dad. And so it was hard because we'd come to, um, my dad was actually a bus driver for Howick and Easton buses. And so he'd drive buses in the morning, come home, pick us up, take us to Jellicoe Park, uh, Jellicoe, and we'd walk all up and down Jellicoe, knocking on doors, preaching and sharing the gospel to the families here. And so many people came to the Lord that time. But also, our Sunday services weren't as flash as they are now, but then it was just my dad playing the guitar, me, my sister, and my mom would sing the song, and then he'd put the guitar down, he'd go up, and he'd preach, and he'd preach to the three of us, and then he'd take up an offering from the three of us, and then he'd do communion. But my dad was also that kind of guy. There was only four of us in that church at the time, but he would make us lay out a hundred seats because he believed that a hundred people were going to... It was annoying. It was hard. But I remember my very first what-is-it moment. I come home that day and there's a keyboard at home. And I'm like, what is it? My dad goes, it's a keyboard. And I'm like, I know what it is, but why, what's it doing here? And he goes, well, God's called us to plant this church. And if that's the case, he's going to give us the means to do it. And so he prays over the keyboard and then he prays over me and then off he goes. And you need to understand, I'm 10 years old at the time. I don't know how to play keys. We didn't have YouTube at the time. We didn't have no Wi-Fi. It was dial up. You had to wait for things to kind of load Press pause and then play and then So we, you know, I didn't have the luxury of just jumping online, looking at a tutorial, learn how to play the keys. All I knew was how, was to play this. <clears throat> that was it. 
next song is, this is the day that the Lord is made. That was all I knew. That's all I knew how to play. For months and months and months of frustration, it was like, oh man, Lord, when, are we, when is this going to grow? We prayed and turned into, I was like, great, yay. <laughs> months went by, oh, getting frustrated, it's the same old thing. And turned into, I was like, oh, great. But there still wasn't enough. And so it eventually went from that to. And it was amazing. But you see now, every time I look at a keyboard, every time I look at a piano, I'm reminded of my what is it? What is it? Moment. The moment where God's divine provision, the mana, the gift of paying keys came freely into my life. It's just so unexplainable. I can't tell you the words that, you know, what was going on in my mind that caused my fingers to start playing the keys that way. But all I know was that we prayed and the mana fell. We prayed and the keys playing started to happen. But also in the middle of the frustration, all those years of, oh, and learning and almost giving up how to play keys. God was using the keys to teach me, to teach my family to trust in God. Mana was a gift that was freely given for Israel. It was God's divine gift to Israel while they were in the wilderness. But it was God's way of saying to them, Israel, do you trust me? The third thing you need to know is that it was the people's responsibility to gather the mana. You see, when the mana fell, it didn't fall into the mouths of the people of Israel. It fell around the tent. When the manna fell, it fell just outside of their tent. God didn't force them to take the manna, but he gave them instructions on gathering the manna to see if they could continue to trust him to provide for them. But the manna fell outside of their tent. One commentary put it this way. The manna fell within their reach. The manna fell, but it was up to the people of Israel to get up and gather the manna. But regardless of whether they did that or not, the manna fell, and it fell within their reach. The bread fell, but it fell within their reach. There's an element of stretching that needed to happen. There's an element of faith that needed to be applied. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily stretch. Give us this day our daily dose of trust and faith. Sometimes it can be so hard to see the mana because we're expecting it to fall right bang onto our dinner plate. We're expecting it to fall right onto the dinner table, but the mana falls within your reach. There's an element of faith that is involved. Sometimes the provision for you is about a phone call away. It's within your reach. But unless you pick up the phone and dial the number, you're not going to get the help that you need. Sometimes the provision for you is in the small group that you just joined. It's within your reach. But unless you go and reach and step into the small group, you're not going to feel connected. Sometimes the provision for you is on jobseek.co.nz. It's within your reach. You won't ever get the job unless you update your CV and apply online. It's within your reach because regardless of whether you reach or not, the job will still be there. The small groups will still be here. The mana will continue to fall, but it's up to you to decide whether you are going to get up and get out of your tent and gather the mana. And you may say, well, are we supposed to trust in God to, do, to give us the mana or are we supposed to get up and gather the mana? It's not a matter of, is it this or is it that? It's both and. I'm trusting God to provide the mana, but I'm going to activate my faith and I'm going to get up, get out of my tent and gather the mana. Turn to the person next to you and say, reach. 
preach. And so you see, what we see here from the Old Testament text is three things. God sent manna for Israel in the wilderness of sin. Manna was a gift given freely for Israel. And thirdly, it was the people's responsibility to gather the manna. All of these three things, they point to the fact that God is able to provide for Israel. Now, when the Bible is talking about Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide, it is ultimately pointing to salvation. God is saying, I will save you. It still means that God will uh, supply your every need according to his riches and glory, but it ultimately means salvation. I will provide the lamb for the sacrifice. God is using the provision of manna to help Israel get used to the pattern of trusting God. But here's what happened. Because here's what happened. Thousands of years later, Jesus steps into the picture. John chapter 6, after Jesus performed the miracle, he fed thousands of people with five loaves and two fish. The people were amazed, but now Jesus and his disciples have now left the shore. They've gone to the other side. The people go looking for him. They can't find him. They follow him over to the other side. And when they come across Jesus and they find him, what happens next is one of my favorite conversations uh, to happen between Jesus and people. The people go over and they say, Jesus, where were you? We were looking for you. And Jesus says to them, you came looking for me not because you saw God and the miracles that I was doing, but you were looking for me because you were after a free feed. Stop wasting your time laboring for perishable food. Labor for the food that endures to everlasting life. And then the people are saying, well, then tell us, Jesus, tell us what we got to do to perform the work and the miracles of God. And Jesus says to them, this is the only work that God is wanting of you. Believe in the one he has sent. The people say, okay, then, well, then give us some kind of a sign. Show us something. Uh, give us, you know, prove to us that you are sent from God because in the wilderness, our ancestors had a sign. They ate the manna that Moses gave them. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you the bread, the manna from heaven. My father did. In fact, he's offering you the true bread, the true manna of heaven. The true bread, the true manna of God is the one who came down from heaven and gives life to the world. And the people are saying, okay, then, well, give us that, Jesus. Give us that manna. Give us that bread, Jesus, every day. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. In John 6, 51, it says, Jesus is saying, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. In other words, Jesus is saying to the people, I am the manna of life. And the Bible says that all the people were starting to get confused. Like, Jesus, what in the cannibalism is happening here? They're making this a literal thing. They're making this a food thing. But you see, mana isn't necessarily a food thing. Mana is a trust thing. Jesus isn't saying to literally eat of his flesh. Jesus is wanting them to understand that he is the mana, the bread that brings eternal life. And unless they partake of this bread of heaven, unless they trust in this bread of heaven, they are without eternal life. In other words, the appetite for life can only be satisfied by the true bread of heaven, Jesus. In the Old Testament, God sent manna for Israel in the middle of the wilderness. And in the New Testament, we see that God sent Jesus to save us from sin. This world that we live in is a world full of sin. What is sin? Sin basically means to miss the mark. What is the mark? 
The mark is the standard of perfection that was established by God and evidenced by Jesus. In other words, sin is failing to be the humans that God created who love God and love others. So why do we need saving from sin? Because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That's why we need saving from sin. But here's the good news, that although the wages of sin was death, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, through the bread of life, through the manna of life. God sent Jesus to save us from the penalty of sin. You need to understand that even though the people of the wilderness ate the manna, they eventually all died. But whosoever eat of the bread of life, the manna of life, they will have eternal life. In the Old Testament, manna was a gift that was given freely to Israel. But in the New Testament, we see that Jesus, the manna, the bread of life, is God's ultimate gift given freely to humanity. The people thought that they had to work hard to get this bread that Jesus was talking about. They thought they had to perform. They thought they had to strive and, 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 you know, and, and, and try to do things in order to get the bread that Jesus is talking about. But Jesus says to them, no, you need only to believe. I want you to settle that in your hearts this morning. Believe. Don't fight it. Don't wrestle with it. Don't protest against it. Let it settle into your soul this morning. Jesus is God's ultimate gift given freely to humanity. He didn't give the gift because of uh, anything that you did or anything that I did. He didn't give the gift because of our holiness or our righteousness or our perfection. It had nothing to do with what we had. But Jesus was God's ultimate gift given freely to humanity so that we could have eternal life. The third thing is that it was the people's responsibility to go and gather the manna. That's in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, we see that you and I we have the freedom of choice to trust in Jesus, the manna, the bread of life. Dr. Carissa Quinn from Bible Project, she puts it beautifully. Here's what she says. Humans are designed to rule as God's partners on the earth. Why would a powerful, sovereign, and mighty God need humans to rule as his partners on earth? Throughout the Bible, God delights in sharing his good things with humanity. He wants humanity to participate in his good purpose. God wants people to respond to him with trust and faithfulness. But just like any relationship, trust can't be forced. And so God gives humanity the freedom of choice. You see, the mana fell, but it was up to the people to get up and go and gather the mana. You need to know today that Jesus, the bread of life, came down from heaven. Whosoever partakes of that bread of life will have everlasting life. But here's the thing. The choice is up to you. The choice is up to me. It is us who must decide whether or not we want to trust in the bread of life. If I can ask Rani to join, join me on the keys. There are three types of people in life. I'm speaking spiritually. There are those who are not interested they have absolutely no desire to know the bread of life, the manna of life. They're not bothered and they don't want to know. But their way ultimately leads to death. And then there are those who are interested, who want the manna, but only because of what they can get. They are interested because they're looking for immediate physical satisfaction. They seek God only for relief from life struggles and suffering, etc. But their way also leads to death. But then there are those who are interested in the eternal who have made it up in their minds, I'm not after a morning routine of mana. I'm after the mana that brings eternal life. 
and their way leads to everlasting life. The question for you this morning is, which of those three people is you? With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, let's pray. God, we thank you for the reminder of the word. Lord, that you sent Jesus and you gave him freely as a gift for humanity so that we didn't have to pay the penalty of sin. And so for that, God, we are forever grateful. And we thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. We honor you, Lord, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.